Welcome to Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories, written and narrated by Heather Lynn McMillan and copyright 2022. Content warning. The Anturia Diaries prequel stories consistently feature themes of graphic violence, profanity, controversial topics, and sexual content. As such, these podcasts are not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Some episodes also contain more specific themes which may be triggering. These episodes will feature further content warnings in the notes. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. Did I tell you that I fucking hate stunners? I fucking hate stunners. Even if I did tell you, I repeated it. My head throbbed as consciousness returned to me. I wasn't in the desert anymore, though. Or was I? I blinked as my vision started blurrily and focused on the room where I woke up. The walls were a soft red-brown color with gold flecks. I'd never seen walls made out of dirt before. No, the walls were desert sand, but they were smooth and hard. I blinked at them. Our homes on Anturia were made of metal, called denus, for at least several centuries, so walls made out of sand were unusual. There were no windows in the walls in this room, and I wondered if maybe I was underground like in Chelgevelglen. I sat up slowly and realized I was on a bed. The furnishings in the room were sparse and functional only. There were only two doors in the room, and the largest one was in the process of opening once my eyes settled on it. A female crow in gloss, who looked remarkably similar to Dalphia, came through the door, closing it behind her. She held a tray with a teapot, two teacups, and some protein round food. Ah, you're awake, she said softly, noticing me sitting up on the bed. Good, we can get some nourishment in you. She set the tray down at the only table in the room and began to fix the tea. I am Melis Towel. You may call me Melis, she informed me. Come and have a seat at the table. She motioned toward one of the four chairs around the table. I stood up slowly, stretching my aching muscles and trying not to think about how much my head was pounding. I made my way toward her and sat down in a chair at the table. Where am I? I asked her. Kyla Marie, you are deep within the plains of Duroy in a community we call Altude. She put a teacup in front of me that she had just filled with tea. Outcast, I repeated the translation to her. She nodded. Something we all have in common, yes? She smiled knowingly at me and poured herself some more tea. There was something beautiful and graceful about her. I could tell she was a performer of some kind. Dalphia had that same dancing, flowing mannerism even when she was fighting. Are you related to Dalphia? I asked, staring hard at her. She lifted her own teacup and grinned widely. Yes, we look alike, don't we? She paused and then continued. I am her biological mother. Biological mother? In Anturia, we never use that type of terminology when describing being a parent. I tilted my head sideways. Yes. She did not seem sad about it, which was odd, but Dalphia was no spring chicken. So maybe it was so long ago that she reconciled with whatever happened. I gave birth to Dalphia, but another raised her. I sipped the tea, and I don't ever remember feeling so nourished and alive as the warm contents went down my throat and spread throughout my body. She must have picked up on my sense of how the tea made me feel because she said, it does feel good, doesn't it? It will help return some required nutrients to your body that you lost in the desert. Eat the wrong food too. It will give you energy back. You will need it. She enunciated every word of that last sentence carefully with brief pauses between each word. I wouldn't say I liked the way it sounded. 
I lifted a silver eyebrow at her but did not vocalize the question. After a few sips of the tea and a couple bites of food, I asked her, Am I a prisoner here? She pursed her lips together. I wouldn't say that. But if you leave here, you will probably die without us. Then I'm a prisoner, I thought, Riley, to myself. Fucking word games. Because we are outcasts, we have specific cultural rituals that must be adhered to by all who live within our community. Once you are recovered, you will have to prove you're worth staying here. It is a necessary rite of passage. I breathed in deeply. And how will I prove my worth? I took another sip of tea, looking at her from over the cup's rim. You will have to fight to the death, she answered flatly, and then sipped her own tea. Who will I have to fight to the death, I inquired. Anyone here you choose, but you will have a day or so of recovery and then training before you must go into combat. You can use the time to get to know us all and then make your choice. I blinked. Whoever I choose must fight me to the death. She nodded. Yes, choose wisely. My first thought was to find out who was the weakest fighter in the mix and pick that person. But something about that would leave my pride too far wounded. I knew myself very well. I would pick out someone strong, if not the strongest one in the group. For today, you eat, drink, learn, and rest. What will I learn today? I asked her. You have already learned today, she said in a chiding way. She was correct, of course. But you will also learn something else. Hidden here in the plains of Duroy is the Enaid Ablanid. Every 100 years, she needs to be replaced by someone to keep Anturia alive. The time is coming, Kyla Marie, when she will need to be replaced. And if you survive your test and become a part of our community, you will be charged with finding her replacement. What was this fucking shit? The Enaid Ablanid was a fucking fairy tale that parents told their kids on Anturia. Quite literally, it was a female entity that was the soul of the planet. The consciousness of all who lived on the planet manifested into the world's core that kept life pulsing in it so we could all live here. Absurd. Why me, I asked her, taking another sip of the tea. If you survive your test, you will get to meet her, and then you can ask her yourself, she answered without looking at me. I was highly suspicious of the whole fucking thing, but I didn't press the issue. I looked around the room again. So what is this place, this altude? How long has it been here? She set her teacup down and then looked around at the smooth sand walls. Altude was made at least a thousand years ago, maybe longer. No one knows for sure. We know in our recorded history that Anturians have been dumping their unwanted who live outside of cultural norms here into the desert, hoping to kill them off, just like you and I were discarded here. I couldn't imagine anything so terrible about this beautiful female who was poised, intelligent, and articulate that she needed to be banished out to a desert to die. But I didn't interrupt her. Many, still at least half, of those outcasts to this desert do die before they make it into Altude. In the beginning, two dozen outcasts found each other in the wilds of the desert, here at this very location, and with their own hands and water from a secret source they had all found and thought no one knew about, they forged the walls of this community from the very desert itself. I looked around at the walls again. Pretty impressive for walls made of sand to be at least a thousand years old. This particular room 
is in the heart of the original community, so these walls are part of the oldest ones. As we grow, our boundaries get pushed out, so the community's outer walls are newer as you move out from the center of it. She finished her tea. Well, that's enough for now. I will leave you to finish your nourishment and then get some rest. Tomorrow morning, bright and early, we will take you to start your training and get to know our community members. She stood up, taking her teacup with her, but leaving the teapot, tray, and food behind. The other door in your room leads to a lavatory, she said. What happens if I leave out the door you came in, I asked her, still wondering if I was a prisoner and if there was a guard posted outside my main door. She had just reached the door and stepped out when she turned to answer me. Well, you may get lost as the community halls are fairly winding, but I'm sure if you asked anyone you passed along the way how to get out, they'd tell you, maybe even show you, and wish you luck as you trek off into the desert. She smiled sweetly and then closed the door behind her without another word. The next day, I woke up and cleaned myself up. Fresh clothes were hanging in the lavatory for me, and they were a brownish-red sand color that matched the walls. There was a small tie on the counter in the same color, and I used it to tie back my silver hair. I didn't want my hair to get in the way if I was training for a fight. When the main door opened and Melis walked through again, I just stepped back into my room from the lavatory. Melis's attire was brightly colored today, unlike my boring drab wall color. She looked cheerful and peaceful as she had the day before. All ready to start, she asked me with a smile. Yes, I answered flatly. Good, today you will train with Rebane. He is one of the best in our community with desert survival. He will teach you all the things you need to know about the plains of Duroy, how to survive in it alone for extended periods, some of our ancient healing secrets, and all of the dangerous things in addition to the dry, hot air that can kill you in the desert. My first day of training went by rather quickly. So quickly, I hadn't realized that I had worked with Rebane for over 14 hours straight with only a few small breaks for nourishment. Rebane was smart, and I absorbed everything he had to teach me, and even a few unspoken things he alluded to but never mentioned. I was always a voracious student looking to perfect and hone my skills to satisfy my never-ending thirst for knowledge. The second day I trained with Tui Lo. I dreaded this when I learned that he would be the one I was to spend the day with training because I remembered when I met him out in the desert and his snide, sexist comment to me. I still wanted to wring his neck. However, he was a master of hand-to-hand combat here in Altude, and after training with him, I could see why. He showed me moves and tricks I didn't even know existed. None of our fighting schools or fighting competitions ever included moves like these. Humans might define his type of fighting as a mix of parkour, martial arts, and brutal hand-to-hand combat. I had no displeasure in fighting against Twilu at all, and by the end of the day, I was beating him most of the time after training. I had to admit he was a good trainer, but I hated the comments that I endured from him all day. Every time he looked at me, I knew he was thinking of fucking me. But the presence of others in the community likely prevented him from taking any action. My subconscious told me to never find myself alone with him. He was dangerous even if I learned so much from him. I didn't like his personality any better after the 12-hour day I spent with him. The third day, I went with Montv. I learned that Montv was Melis's husband, Dalfia's father, and the current leader of Altude. He was kind, thoughtful, and quiet. His voice was firm, but also soft. He spent our training day discussing strategy and tactical options, role-playing and simulating large-scale battles, and even strategy for one-on-one combat against someone stronger than you. 
I noticed with everyone he interacted with in the community that he was so respectful and listened to them all with great attentiveness. He told me later in the day that listening is the essential tool for someone who is a leader and or a strategist. So much precious information is lost by those not paying attention to words being said, words not being said, word choice, word order, and body language, and how all those things mixed. All of that could tell so many stories that assist with strategy. On the fourth day of training, I spent the day with Montvi and Melis's other daughter, Tridith. She did not look like Melis or Dalphia, but instead, she was her father in feminine form. With her, I studied agility, stealth, and essentially how to make yourself disappear even when surrounded by others, simply using the energy from the elements around you. I had heard of this skill before, but it was only whispered in rumors and stories. I never actually knew anyone that could manipulate the energy from elements around them to become largely invisible, and this day completely captivated me. At first, I was terrible at it. I couldn't visualize the shifts in the energy like she was telling me, and I got frustrated. We took a break at lunch and then went back to it. Suddenly, in a flash of clarity, I could see what she was talking about. From then on, I made myself less visible, but not completely invisible yet. Some tag take years to master this skill, and I came further in a day than anyone she had ever trained or seen in her life. Tridith told me me not to give up. I liked Tridith. I felt like she and I might have been best friends. Her attitude was similar to mine. A no-nonsense, straightforward female with pride, dignity, and strength. I would not pick her to fight to the death because I adored her too much. The fifth day I spent with Melis, I discovered this charismatic woman was skilled in more than just articulation and presentation. She had the gift of Kanu, the power to manipulate things through voice or song. Her voice was like magic, and there were several times during the day I found she was making me do things using her voice alone. I was astonished such a power existed. I could not master this skill, but I did pick up some tricks, like being able to move a table or a chair six inches over without touching it, just using my voice alone. I could not make Melis do anything with my voice, but I was able to make a person walking in the hall that moved past us skip a few times down the hallway. Melis and I laughed as she turned around after skipping and looked at us dubiously. We slipped back into my room and I sat down. Well, you have done well, Kyla. Tomorrow you must choose who you will fight, and then the day after, we will drop you both off far into the desert, where only one of you may return to Altude alive. I nodded to her, and I thought about all the Anturians I trained with, and all the other tags I met in the community, and breaks where I got to explore and meet everyone who lived there. The thoughts danced in my head all night long as their faces and voices faded in and out of my mind in rotation. One of these faces would be someone who was dead soon. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 10, The Mysteries of Duroy, from the Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast subscription apps or at anturia.org. Season 1, Episode 11, A Friend to All, we journey with Bryn and Dalphia to Belia Island and deal with the broken and still hotly contested Porta Segreta. Stay tuned. 
Anturia Diaries prequel stories podcast are copyright 2022 by Heather Lynn McMillan. All rights reserved. No part of these stories may be reproduced in any form or by an electronic or mechanical means, including information storage and retrieval systems, without permission in writing from the author. Disclaimer, this is a work of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents either are the product of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, events, or locales is entirely coincidental. Coincidental.